We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Coachable Podcast, the go-to place for personal and spiritual development because around here, we believe that life is the ultimate training ground for finding out what you are truly made of. I'm your host, Tori Gordon, high-performance coach and breathwork facilitator, and each week I share intimate conversations and inspirational stories from some of the world's most successful people. It's time to stop standing on the sidelines of your life and get your head and your heart in the game. So take a seat, grab a pen, because you're going to want to take notes as we pull back the curtain on the tools, resources, and inspiration you need to unlock your inner champion. What's up, friends? Welcome back to the show. We're friends, right? Me and you? Okay, good. I was just making sure, because friends play together, and that's what we're going to be doing today in today's episode. I'm joined by a good friend of mine. Steve Ricks, who has spent the last three decades honing and developing his skills as an expert in employee engagement, and he's worked with some of the biggest Fortune 100 companies, providing coaching and consulting in the development of people to perform at their highest levels. The last decade, he's explored, researched, and experimented with play in the workplace as the highest state of effectiveness and efficacy, and from coaching and consulting to focus groups and beta testing over 250 unique case studies. That has led Steve to develop a particular set of experiments and experiences that, when delivered to a workplace culture, undeniably facilitate useful changes in culture. Recently, he released his first book, Play Saves the Day, and his inspiration for this book came from the dangerously alarming state of mental health in the workplace. Now, more than ever, companies have a moral mandate to take care of their human capital. Putting people over profits will inequivocally create more profit and happier people in the workplace. And Steve is really on a mission to be the prophet of play to help heal the global mental health pandemic. He is so fun, passionate, and he will help anybody discover their personal playful path to transformation. I'm so excited to have him on this show. So let's get into it. Steve Ricks in the house. I'm so glad you're here, my friend. Welcome to the show. Much aloha, sister. We've been planning this for a long time, so I'm really glad to be on your show as well. I've missed you, and I feel like I just want to give you a big, fat, virtual hug. A big air hug. (laughs) It's been a while. I was just thinking it was, has it been over a year now? Because your birthday just passed not too long ago, and last time we were hanging out, man, we spent the entire day just, like, hanging out and playing and having the best time, and I miss it, and I have such, like, fond, good memories from, from your birthday, and I can't believe a whole year has passed. I know, and a lot has happened for both of us in that year. It's, um, I tell people all the time that like last year that that little uh 36 hours you and i and a few other people spent together was perhaps some of the most um catalytic time in my life where things got really clear really fast and then all of a sudden all sorts of cool things started happening and um one of my favorite expressions now is uh play saves the day and that that certainly that day it uh propelled me to a whole new way of thinking and of course as you recall just weeks before we had been in your retreat together and um yeah, so I'm grateful for the role you played in me, and pun intended, uh, like really getting to where I'm at today. It's very exciting. Yeah, and just for context, you guys, 
Steve and I connected, now it's been multiple years ago, during the pandemic. He reached out to me and we got on a call and had an instant connection and cultivated that over the course of a couple of years to where you came to Atlanta and we did some whiteboarding sessions together around business and then you ended up coming yeah, to the retreat that I hosted back in 2020 and then we just had a continuation of, of really beautiful experiences together, your birthday being one of them. I remember when you initiated that whole conversation about getting the group together for your birthday and having th this collective intention to play. And one of the things that you asked us to do was to all bring something uh, that we like to play with. And even the first time I think I ever spoke with you when we got on a Zoom with a bunch of other people, you asked us all to like dress up as the character that we thought like represented us. And I picked the genie because I was like, I help people get what they want. I make people's wishes come true. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, you just have this childlike, playful spirit that's so contagious. And I would love for you to just like speak to where that comes from for you and how you've been able to like hang on to that over the years because a lot of us we get hardened we get cold we get so disconnected from our playful self and our curious self and that's something that when I think of Steve Ricks I think of play and that's the reputation that you have in my life and so I'm just curious like where does that come from for you has that always been with you is it something that you've had to develop over time and why is it so important well I think that's a a, a great question to start with um, and as I was listening to you ask it I was thinking I don't think anybody's ever asked me that before so I'm certain of this that the sense of play and its significant role in my life today as an adult was not not always that way. Um, right out of um, high school, going into college, I had a, a construct or um, a template to follow that was very rigid and frankly left a lot to be desired, but it was just the culture I got brought up in. And it wasn't until my early 30s when I went through a divorce, I kind of left an entire system of thinking behind, um, particularly from um, a religious world that was very, very, very um, sterile and very limited. And in doing so, I became very curious to start with spiritually, because I, I knew there was a, something spiritual in me, but I just knew it wasn't what I was. And as I began to get curious about that, I began to become curious about a whole bunch of things that had been, quote, off limits, you know, you don't do this and you don't do that. And, and it seemed like my whole life was don't, don't, don't. So I began with it great intention, experimenting with a lot of things. And what I found was through the process of um, experimenting, um, something called curiosity, which I had long since left behind because my life was all about compliance. There wasn't room to be curious. I had to live by a certain set of expectations. So in about my mid-30s is when that started. And um, the universe brought me um, a, a wonderful lady um, who I dated for five years, who um, I think it was 35 or 36, and she was 23 or 24. So that age difference invited me into playfulness. And, and you might remember this story, Tori, because I told it at your retreat. But one of the first weekends that we had like a weekend date, where we spent the whole weekend together at the time she lived in California and I in Arizona, she um, invited me to go to Venice Beach, which is very eclectic. And there was this big thing called a drum circle. And um, I had never heard of the term ecstatic dance, but she said, oh, I just took this community college class called Afro-Haitian dancing, and, and now you got to come to the drum circle, you'll love it. Now, two things are going on. One, every minute I'm spending with this gal is just wonderful. It's, it, it, it's just refreshing my soul and building my sense of, of esteem and value. It's doing all the right things energetically until she says dance, because I'm terrified of dance, because at, at a very young age, I was on a dance floor, we were doing the limbo, I split my pants, everybody made fun of me, and never wanted to dance again. But something happened that day, because I saw 500 people pounding on drums, dancing so hard, they were sweating it off, like in a gym kind of dancing. And yet, all of a sudden, I felt this 
wild urge to surrender to the idea of I better figure out what's going on here and have some fun or I'm going to miss the boat with this beautiful young lady that I feel like there's something special here. And that was the beginning of recognizing that all play is, is anything to which I have no resistance and find great joy, right? I mean, like, so some people... They may not enjoy dance, but I love it because when I do it, I'm completely surrendered to the beat, to the energy of the people around me. But that's when it started. And I thought, well, man, if the guy who's terrified of dancing can now just let go and really have a great time, what else could happen in my life if I was more playful? So I'd say that's probably when it started. And that'd be now close to 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, I can so relate to feeling like you have to fit inside of a box and you have to perform at a certain level. And doing so allows many of us, you and me included, to achieve certain things in life. So we think, oh, in order to continue to achieve or to, to get certain things, we have to be a certain way. And for most of us, that looks like giving up and letting go of our playful side that is present and we become super analytical or we become super just like focused on doing certain things, getting certain things done or accomplished. And like you, I can completely relate to feeling very disconnected from the part of me that already knows how to play. It's built in, but I just hadn't, hadn't done it in so long. And then you came into my life at a time where I was working, doing a lot of personal work and healing work. And I was reminded like that woman reminded you, you reminded me that life doesn't have to be so serious <laughs> and that I'm allowed and deserve to have fun. And that when we become present, there's so much joy in whatever, like the thing that we're doing. But I had lived in a very serious, rigid way like you had. And you were that invitation for me. So thank you for that. You're welcome. But it's, it's been a muscle I've had to, to learn to work again. It's like if you don't use your muscles, you, you like if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. And so it's been something I've had to re-engage with consistently. And one of the things that I realized, and this is the case for I think a lot of high performers, whether corporate entrepreneurs, what have you, is breaking up with the narrative and the belief that play isn't productive. Yes. And so how do you speak to that? Because I, I was someone who believed, oh, if I'm playing, that's irresponsible, right? I want to be a responsible adult. I want to get things done. I want to take care of business. I don't have time to play. Yeah. Or that's for the little kids or that's for whoever who don't have responsibilities in life. That yeah, that's right. So how do you speak to that to people who are like, I want to get shit done, but I also want to have fun, you know? <laughs> I love that. Um, did you ever get told to act your age and not your shoe size? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? So when you're saying that, that's what I'm thinking, right? Like one of the things that I do in the, I even hate to use the word work because I have so much fun with it, but my job, right? Like I own a company called Play Lab and we invite people to experiment with play. But one of the things we do at work is attempt to rewrite that narrative. Because if you look at the way psychologists, human behavioral specialists, adolescent experts treat play, the narrative they give it is it is our training wheels to learn how to come to adulthood. So um, to your point, it's something children do, but even the use of it is really just to prepare you for adulthood. That's one narrative. Another narrative is it's the opportunity you and I get if we've worked real hard to give ourselves a little reward on the weekend. If we're really good, maybe we get a couple weeks a year that we get the reward, right? Like where, where um, we have vacation. And then, of course, um, after that, there's the narrative of it's the world of the ultra elite, right? They just were lucky enough to be able to play all the time. And while all three of those things are observable, like we see those things, the reality is, is that play needs an entirely 
reconstituted narrative, like if we get down to the pure essence of play, all play is, is any activity, any activity that brings me fully present, that makes me feel emotionally connected, that gives me a sense of imagination, and um, that it really has no purpose except the joy of whatever I'm doing. Like, p play can't really be malintentioned. If, if, if I'm using, quote, play to hurt someone else or to get something, I'm not playing. Right. You know, um, if if I feel like I have to get a certain result, I'm not playing the way I invite people to think of play is like I play a little game with them. I say, hey, let's do the opposites game. I say up, you say down, you know, left, right, blah, blah, blah. I say play, you say and people always say work. I say that's where you're wrong, because the opposite of play is not work. The opposite of play is resistance. So to your point of how can I be playful and be productive, like I feel like, and I've owned seven different companies and I've coached and consulted with hundreds over 30 years in the business world. And much of it was work. Now I just happened to enjoy some success with some of it because I was good at it, but I didn't love what I was doing. Eight years ago, I started this company. It was then Imagine That, it's now Play Lab. But I tell people all the time, um, like this has been the most challenging thing I've ever done because to your point, Tori, I'm fighting the narrative that no, 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 that, that can't really work. Well, now eight years later, people are starting to listen to us, but I tell people all the time <laughs> in like four and a half years, I went from zero to multi-million dollars and then lost it again. Right. And in twice that time, I'm still trying to get this thing going. But the truth is it's because that narrative has been so ingrained in society that play is a non-essential adolescent um, training wheel. And that in adulthood, we leave childish things behind. There's a difference between mm -hmm. being immature and being playful. I'd like debate anyone that there is enormous health considerations, emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, relationally, that all go up when I'm more playful. Think about it. Yeah. We've both had relationships. Our relationships are always best whether it's sexual, emotional, spiritual, however it is in the relationship when we're playful. We've all been in business settings where when the culture's more relaxed and playful, it's more easy to get into the work. We've all had friendships that are not, you know, sterile. Some are more playful mm -hmm. and relaxed. I like to say, of course, you have plenty. I, I have none. But when, when we're in that space where we can let our hair down, right, like mm -hmm. that we can be totally who we are, that's a great sign of being playful. And I just reflect back on that day we were all together. I mean, everyone there was showing up as who they were, right? There was no thought of judgment, freedom of expression. So when I have perfect self-expression, when I can relax intensity, when I can increase curiosity, when I can pivot easily, right? Like, well, that didn't work. Try something else. All of these are the byproduct of play because play is that state of being where I enjoy, you know, sheer joy. It's why like little kids, if left to their own devices would play themselves to sleep instead of us putting them to sleep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my take on how to look at that narrative differently. There's so much in what you just said. And there's a couple things I want to touch on. It's no longer play when you're attached attached to the outcome or the result or when there's ill intent. What came to mind for me, and I don't know if you would agree with this, but I think those things might be the barrier to which or the boundary around when play becomes competition and performance. We stop playing when we start competing, right? We, we stop being present and just being fully immersed in the experience for the sh sheer enjoyment of it. And then we start trying to, to be the best and, and trying to be the winner. And then we'll do whatever it takes to get there. And then we've adapted. And for me, and I was always an athlete growing up, that was so much of what I considered play as a child, but what really it reared me and, and conditioned me to compete and to perform. And so my belief system and my story around play was actually playing looks like winning. <laughs> and 
I had to unlearn that and to relearn that play is just uh, an immersive experience. And that is something I'm still working on. I wanted to, to share like a, a story recently. I've been in Vegas and I'm here for the summer at, you know, at least, but I've been here for the last couple months. And the people that I'm surrounded by here remind me of you because they invite me into a playful state. And there's a couple people specifically that I'm thinking of that live their lives in this in this way. And I have always attracted friends that are much more outgoing and playful than I am. And I think it's because there's part of me that deeply, deeply wants the permission to let go of the way that I think I'm supposed to be. And so a couple weekends ago, we went to a festival, a music festival called EDC, and it's electronic dance. It's it's called the Electronic Daisy Daisy music Carnival. Festival. Yeah, that's what it is. Been there, I love it. <laughs> right. Okay. I went for the first time. I can't even. Yeah, I don't even know what it's called. And it was, as you know, this magical carnival that glows in the dark. It's a, like an adult playground. Yeah, from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. kind of thing. <laughs> and here's the thing, Steve. I had, I woke up on the day of with so much anxiety. Really? <laughs> Almost to the point where I was like, I don't want to go. I am so overwhelmed by the idea of letting go of control mm -hmm. and letting go of this perfect persona that I've worked so hard to perfect, you know, and yet it was the most liberating, freeing, beautiful experience where collectively people get together to simply enjoy mm. life yep. and to enjoy music and to dance and to be together. And it was then that I remember, I had to have this moment with myself where I was like, oh, I'm still working through this. This is still a challenge for me, like to actually let go and surrender to that. And it's only been in certain safe environments with people that I really feel safe with, like that time at your birthday, where I could show up fully as who I really am, not the person that I want to be seen as. Like actually who Tori is, uh -huh. and that requires safety is what I've recognized, is feeling super, super safe. I'm curious, like, especially in the workplace, because you work and consult with corporations of all different sizes. You do coaching around this too, but what do you see? Do you see a correlation between play and safety? And how do you see that playing out? Huge. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, before I answer that, let me just say one thing. The first time I ever went to EDC, I took my 18-year-old son for his graduation, and we did mushrooms or acid every night. I want you to think back to sex ed for a moment. If you're anything like me, you probably learned all about how to prevent pregnancy, but what about how to actually plan for it? That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with just a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results in 10 days. You'll get insights into your hormone levels, your ovarian reserve, AKA that's how many eggs that you have compared to other women your age and other important fertility factors. The results go deep and they show you why every hormone is important and what it means so that you can also then download your results and review it with your doctor for next steps. Traditional testing is expensive, you guys. It can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same information at a fraction of the price. If you go to modernfertility.com slash coachable, you can get $20 off your test. Also, if you have an HSA or FSA, you can put those dollars towards your mo Modern Fertility test. And if you want kids today or maybe like me sometime in the future, this is clinically sound information about your body and it can help you make the right decision for you. So go on over to modernfertility.com because they're offering our listeners $20 off your test when you go to their website, modernfertility.com slash coachable. That means that your test is going to cost $179 instead of hundreds or thousands that it would cost at your doctor's office. So go get the $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash coachable. Now, without further ado, let's finish this episode. 
It was the most amazing experience we ever had. <laughs> and I'll tell you why, because like, and, and that may expand the mind of some of your listeners, but like, I'm a huge believer in intentional altered states. Like when you bless them and say, I'm, I'm expanding my sense of consciousness to feel more, to enjoy more, to connect more. So bravo that you went to EDC. And now I know that you and I are going to have to create a play date and go to one of those together. <laughs> we'll have so much fun. <laughs> but to your point, yeah. like It would be so fun. It will be. We'll make it happen. Um, but like to your point, and I think it's so spot on, like especially if you think about several things that affect work today, you have a huge generational gap, right? Like you have the generation that came before me, baby boomers, right? And then there's my generation, and then there's your generation, millennials, and then of course there's um, uh, the Gen Z to follow. And um, Gen Z and millennials are a feeling generation, which is a really important thing. Like they, they want to experience connectivity, and it's really hard to experience connectivity when there's no space for emotional empathy in the workplace. Like if I'm going through my shit in my life, don't bring that to work or the manager's gonna have to, you know, put an X to, on your, your uh, performance review. And then of course it shuts you down. So the correlation between- Or, or I was just gonna add, or you get in trouble. Right. Yeah. Right. If you, if your, your boss, you know, then puts that on your performance review, that takes you back to childhood where you get in trouble for playing, right? If you're in the classroom and you're, you're playing and you're like, no, 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 like that's not okay. You need to sit there and be quiet and be still. Yes. Yeah. And um, one of the things I'm, I'm having more and more conversations with, with um, business owners, middle managers is the, is the fact that today in business, people are not equipped to be human. <laughs> like they're, they're equipped to say, here's the checklist of things I have to do. And if they get done great. And if they don't, I get in my bulldozer mode and move the people out that can't do it. And, you know, then attract the people who can and say, now get it done. Like it's, it's so stoic and so feelingless. It's virtually impossible in many workplaces for people to feel emotionally safe, which by the way, is also why there's enormous resistance right now to people going back to work because of the pandemic who have been given space to work otherwise. And, uh, I just saw a statistic last week that 75% of all CEOs are about ready to put the hammer down and say, come back to work or else. To me, that is like one of the biggest mistakes they could make because they're really missing the point. Curious, engaged, and emotionally safe people are highly productive human beings, right? But people who are um, compliant, disengaged, and emotionally void just get by. And, um, you know, most reports say that 70 to 80% of people in the workforce today are either disengaged or unengaged. One recently said it's as high as 90%. And it wouldn't surprise me because the workforce has become a performance place. And um, unless, as you described earlier, you're hungry enough to win at all costs, you're going to lose. And, um, and then that whole paradigm just pits people against people, that deeply immersed sense of competition instead of collaboration. And if we've seen anything globally and, you know, macro and micro levels, the world more than ever needs people to be collaborative. Like, how do we remove the barriers to entry and to that sense of emotional safety? And... Yeah, to me, that is um, one of the biggest byproducts of play is that I feel safe. And that's a big thing today. It's a really big thing today. Well, when I think about it in terms of trauma and mental health, and you and I have talked offline about this so many, so many times, I think it's a prerequisite. Safety is a prerequisite for play because we can't play if we don't feel safe, if we feel threatened, if we feel like we're going to get in trouble, we're going to be punished, right? Then we will comply. For those who grew up, whether in households where they were 
punished or abused in any way, emotionally, physically, for those even into adulthood that was displayed to them. But I also think of, you know, when you are playing, you are immersed. You are not thinking about time. You're not thinking about your to-do list. You're not thinking about what you have to accomplish later or tomorrow or what people think of you, right? You're just immersed in the experience of it. And that is a vulnerable state to be in because you're not on guard. You're not, you don't have your defenses up unless you're safe and you know that you, there is no threat, then our nervous system will not allow us to go into that state of play because we are high, we've been taught and trained to be hypervigilant, to be on guard and to self-protect. And that is the primal survival instinct that will override our natural built-in capacity to play. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because more than just being taught what you just said, right here at the nape of the neck is something called the amygdala. And unfortunately, that wasn't even taught. That was like part of the package at birth. And the amygdala by its nature at the stem of the brain is that very unconscious part of the brain, meaning I don't have conversations with it. It just happens. It's the part of the brain that um, when I'm walking down a dark alley by myself, if I feel something and I turn around and there's that somebody, that was the amygdala. It's for you, a pretty single lady, if you go to a social area and a man approaches you, it's the part of you that says, this is a conversation that isn't with good intent. Like it just knows certain things and it feels it. So not only are we trained this way, we get that little added package too. And the only thing that can neutralize that is human imagination. Um, when they study brain waves, like everything happens within the skull. And they don't have a lot of science on this yet, but the fascinating thing about imagination brain waves is they literally project out the forward part of the skull. Like they're looking for something other than what's inside. And I don't want to read into it with too much meaning, but because, it, because there's not the science to support all that just yet. But metaphorically, isn't that interesting that all this stuff just keeps spinning around. But when my imagination wakes up, the curiosity with the unknown or the desire to expand my sense of consciousness, it takes me frontal and away from what I'm already working with. So yeah, there's a lot to be said about paying attention to my surroundings. I've said this for years and I have also been both the recipient of the rewards of it. I, I use the word victim, not as if I'm irresponsible, but the victim of my own choices sometimes. Show me the five people you hang out with the most and I'll tell you your future. And there've been times in my lives where, where I got to my future and I was like, well, wow, that kind of looks just like those people, right? And I didn't like that. What I look for now is any place where I don't have to be adaptive. For our audience, um, I think Tori's done a fantastic job of kind of expressing how close we are. I could be, you know, naked in my shower and I look at my text and she says, call me now. And I'm like, okay, I'll call you now, right? Like, it doesn't matter because there's a connection there that I feel completely safe to stop anything and to be in the moment with you. And I know that's reciprocated and like those are special kinds of connections that A, we should nurture and B, we should look for because it's in that space that we're able to spread our wings and experiment with play. And when it's useful, we have fun. And when it's not, we laugh and we say, let's try something else. And it's not a report card, right? It's, not, it's just a, experimentation is a powerful tool. It's engaging. Well, when I started my road trip back in March, that was one of my intentions. I looked at my trip as an experiment in presence, in letting go and surrender in surrender and non-attachment and being able to just be so immersed in living my life and being an active participant and experiencing experiencer of it, not just a reporter of my life. Mm -hmm. Because I had learned how to get really good at reporting on what was happening and I had gotten disconnected from actually immersing myself in the experience of it. And so that was one of my intentions. And I would love to know how you work with someone because I imagine 
I'm not the only one and that you've probably had clients like this in the past who are uptight, who don't feel safe to play, who have learned how to be, being a certain way has created the safety that they didn't feel, right? I think of when I was a child, this has been top of mind for me over the last few months because I have been experiencing and saying yes to things I would have otherwise said no to in the past. Before EDC, I went to another um, day event with a bunch of artists that I absolutely loved from uh, childhood, a bunch of R&B artists like Snoop Dogg and Nelly and Usher, like all my favorites, right? And I could, since then, my unease in large crowds and like, I love seeing everybody have so much fun, but I saw my resistance in contrast to the people that I was with who were just so excited to be there. And I, after the fact, I started thinking about like, where does this come from for me? Why is it not as easy for me to play as it is for some other people? And I thought about this, I correlated it back to uh, when I was a, a child. I talked to my dad and he reminded me that when I was about three years old, my sister and my mom and I, our family was at a big event with a lot of people. It was like a 4th of July event. And we had gone to the bathroom. And when we came out, uh, I can't remember what song was playing, but it was the one that was like, dun, 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 dun. and then the cannon goes off. Boom. Yeah. And yeah. I <laughs> lose it. My sister and I absolutely lose it. We don't know what's happening. We think we're about to die. We don't have context for what's going on. And we're just scared to death. And I'd never put two and two together, but in big events, like fireworks used to scare me as a kid, crowds, I would get up tight. And I, I think my nervous system was just conditioned to feel afraid in those types of situations. So my question is, how do you work with people like me who might be uptight? And are there certain practices? Are there certain experiments or exercises that you would recommend for someone to do to start to develop that, that muscle of play and feeling like they can let go? Sure. Absolutely. Um, to start with, one of the really cool things um, we're proud of at Play Lab is we've got like 43 now independently verified, highly useful experiments. Many of them have to do with games, toys, arts and crafts, storytelling. But in this case, one of the things that I encourage people to do is a tactile exercise that helps mental pliability. So let me explain what I mean by that. So um, from a very young age, um, as long as we're talking about youth, we're taught that don't touch fire, it hurts, it burns, right? And that's what we call calcified ideology, meaning there's nothing that's going to change my mind on that. And in that case, it's a really good thing. And if we were looking at brain science, it's like, uh, think about Frankenstein. He had these little ment these uh, posts on his neck, right? And that's how they brought him back to life with all these electrons. Well, in the brain, we have microscopic posts, and they're called synapse. And in between them are electrical transmissions, back and forth, back and forth. And if that transmission goes often enough, it, it's covered with myelin. It's a microscopic kind of thing. You and I can't see it, but it, it'd be kind of like coating on a wire. Its mm -hmm. design is to protect the wire, right? So that that transmission can keep going. So that's what you experienced around crowds and loud noises. That's what we all experience around fire. Mm -hmm. However, an exercise is anything that deals with tactile pliability would be anything like I'm looking over at my little play altar and right over there. And you've seen this. I've got like a, um, a slinky that's bright colored. You've seen me play with that all the time. I've got Play-Doh. I've got some silly putty. It's different for different people, but picking up something that energizes your fingertips literally and makes you begin to feel and mold is a great way to begin to relax the intensity in the brain when you're mm -hmm. given to a subject matter like this. And people say, well, how the heck would me rolling around some Play-Doh or Silly Putty have anything to do with unraveling what you just said? And the truth is, it may or may not. And this is why we experiment with play, because every human being is different. But this is one of the things I would start with, because in general, anytime I touch something that I want to manipulate, it allows me 
what's called the access to neuroplasticity. And if our listening audience has never heard about neuroplasticity, it's a, it's been around for a while, but it's really become prevalent the last decade or so. And the premise of neuroplasticity is we can change human behavior. We can change biological structure. It was first really studied in a heavy way after people would have strokes like that people could fully recover from a stroke because they had the ability to manipulate those neurotransmission pathways I was speaking of. So the point would be this, anything that feels intense must relax before it can be replaced, right? Uh, Tony Robbins always talks about massive action to make a change. And for a long time, I used to agree with him. The more I've observed play, play is a very subtle operation that I don't tend to resist. Once I'm past that uptight place and I'm just immersed, as you talked about, it just has magical effect. Like mm -hmm. things that I struggled with for years, I don't struggle with at all from a state of play. And um, I think if people can begin to feel the relaxation, then they can play with the relaxation. And so like when you get past all that, then one of, uh, I'll give you two more examples. Uh, two of my favorite ways to then take that to the next level is for you to create an imaginary friend who is your relaxed alter ego, right? Mm. And that could happen one of two ways. Literally, like I have a friend, his name is Scooby-Doo, right? I love Scooby. And he was always like, ruh, ruh, Rixie. And, but... <laughs> The real fun way to do it is literally to make yourself a puppet. And now that puppet becomes the relaxed version of you. And when you're in a conversation with that person, your subconscious must project out of that person something other than what you're struggling with. And your subconscious, when it's playful with imagination, it's virtually impossible for it to speak audibly poorly of yourself. You know, most of our poor conversations are the ones that are never heard. So that would be a great way for like Tori to go create little Miss Tori puppet, relax puppet and bring her around and have some conversations. I'd love to hear what she has to say. <laughs> no, I love that idea. I love using my imagination to create the version of myself that is able to, to relax and be present and to like be the carefree younger version of me before I was learned to be afraid, right? It's like the, the inner child before I was conditioned and adapted to, to being afraid of things. And that comes out and has come out when in certain environments with certain people and that safety is there. But I think, yeah, using my imagination as a, a mental faculty to, to engage with her and to let, like, let her come out is really fascinating and something I definitely want to try. <laughs> I love that. Well, and here I'll give you one other thing to do. Um, and I know you know this about me. My favorite all-time characters are the Minions. And the reason I love the Minions so much is they're always up to these dastardly deeds in the name of good, which is kind of the, the oxymoron about them. But they are the most carefree, careless, and um, fully engaged characters I've ever seen. And uh, like two weeks ago, I saw the trailer for a new movie coming out on July 1st. And very rarely do I ever go to movies the day they open. But I'm going like and, uh, I will. I, I'm sure I'll laugh my ass off because what they represent in their very silly, playful way is total detachment from what others think or feel. They're just playing because they're minions, you know, oh, that the whole world be a bunch of yellow funny sounding minions. We'd all be better off. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you have a new book out and uh, I know you've been working really hard on it. It's something you're super excited about and something I'm, I'm super proud of you for, for finishing and getting, you know, bringing this into full creation and having this tangible uh, offer for people to learn an experiment with play in a whole new way, whether it's just personally or professionally in the workplace. Can you tell us about it? 
and talk about what what they can expect to find in the in the book. Yeah. Um. So the book's titled "Play Saves the Day." You can go to that exact um, web address, www.playsavestheday.com, to check it out. There's an excerpt there. There's some testimonials, a video from me. If you like what you see, you can download it. I'll give you a promo code here before we're done. But um, the premise of the book was first inspired almost a year ago now when for a long time I felt like it was time to write something about play, but like the pandemic was continuing and I was feeling the fatigue from that and had finally worked my way back home here in Hawaii and was thrilled about that. But the streets were empty. People were just really tired. Uh, Originally, the book was written with the idea of of giving people almost like a pandemic playbook, a way out of their own uh, mental challenges, emotional challenges, physical challenges, through a really hard time. Ultimately, we changed the name of the book to Play Saves the Day because play is a very timeless thing. I hope we've demonstrated that today. And that um, long after this pandemic subsides, We wanted to kind of plant the seeds of a whole new pandemic, which was the pandemic of play, that like if people would lean into play and really give it a chance, play never disappoints. So um, the book is um, in very simple form, written on purpose in short form. It's about 55, 60, I think it's 61 pages to be exact. And it's written in short form because I understand people's attention spans today are short and there's a lot of other things vying for their time and I wanted as many people as possible to say, all right, I'll take two hours and I'll read this, take three hours, whatever I need and read this. So that's number one. Number two, it's written with the anecdotes, my personal experiences and the collective experiences of more than 250 past clients the last eight years that kind of informed how I wrote. And it's broken down into three very simple parts. One is just the pathway back to play, because um, as you've suggested, many of us would have no clue how to get back to play because we've put on, been put on the super highway of being an adult, right? And everything's performance-based. So like to meander down the pathway to play, um, even that for some people is a challenge. So the first part of the book invites people to experiment with different ways to find their way back to play, the pathway. Second part of the book really is a wide open here are the possibilities. Now you've found your way onto the path. Here's the possibilities that exist for you. And like, relax and just try whichever ones you want. And, and actually baked into the book are a number of experiments, some that take them back to our webpage, some that take them to social media sites, some that will take them right into their backyard. And, uh, I just recently had um, a social media influencer who lives here in Hawaii and in Colorado part-time. I want to connect you um, to her. She's um, much like you, amazing. But what connected me to her was everything she was doing is playful. And I said to her, I said, I, I got to have you read my book. And one of the things she said, um, both her and her husband after they read it was, that they loved the experiments. So, uh, you know, we've got these experiments in the book talking about the possibilities. And the last part of the book is the promises of play. Like, you can be sure, you can bet your life that play's gonna give you some guarantees. The book is an invitation to just do what you've kind of set out here in our conversation from the get-go, Tori, see play differently. And there are many modalities for human transformation. And I see play as a modality, but more importantly than a modality, it's a mentality. And it's one that I never had to learn. I never had to learn. As you know, I love the work uh, that you do in breath work and I've been been a customer and a huge believer in it. I, I spent 15 minutes before just doing some breath work to fully clear my energy to be like here and present with you. And, and next to breathing, which happens so autonomically. Play is right there as a close second. Like, don't go into a Barnes and Noble looking for a book on how to teach your kids how to play because no one's ever had to write that book (laughs) because it's it's kind of baked it's it's baked into the system, right? Like at the end of the day, you know, we don't say to our kids, Billy, Susie, don't forget to play. You know, it's always don't forget your chores, don't forget your homework, right? That kind of stuff, because I am busy playing. 
And I think the biggest thing this book does is encourage children and teens to never stop playing and to double dog dare every adult to start playing as if they were children or teens and to watch the magic happen. So yeah, playsavestheday.com. Uh, we've got a, a big goal to get 100,000 copies sold this year. One dollar of every um, sale goes directly to SeizeTheAwkward.org, which is a fantastic mental health awareness campaign to get people talking more about their hardships. And if uh, people want to get that, they can actually save, I believe it's about 30%, by using the code TORI, T-O-R-I, and 30, and TORI is all capital letters. You can put that in the show notes too. But yeah, we would love, love, love for people to get that book. Um, and it's just the beginning of some real exciting things that I'm sure in the future we can go back and talk about. Yes, I love it. You guys, I want you to get your hands on it. I know I am super, super excited to read it. And Steve, if you're willing, we would love to give uh, one of the uh, copies away to a listener. Um, if you're interested and you want to get your hands on a copy, we'd love to give you one. So all you have to do is screenshot this and we would love for you to tag us on social media. We're the coachable podcast on Instagram. We'll put Steve, Steve, your information on there. We want to know that you listen to the show, but all you have to do to enter is just leave a rating and review of the podcast, and then you'll be entered to win. And we're going to select one of the lucky listeners to get your book, which we're super excited for. But yeah, if you just want to go ahead over to playsavestoday.com, use the promo code Tori 30, you can get 30% off immediately. Get one for yourself, get one for your family, get one for your company. We all need to be playing more. We all need to be having more fun. That's the goal for myself in the, the back half of 2022 is fun is the frequency. Like I'm all about the fun and the playfulness <laughs> because when I drop in to that space, that's where I'm most creative. That's where I'm most intuitive. That's where I'm most uh, like connected to the true essence of who I am, which allows me to have the clarity of like, have downloads, mental downloads that like I just wouldn't have if I was in that mental efforting performance mindset. And so um, that's what I'm super excited for. It's where we're most alive, Tori. Yeah. Most alive, yes. for sure. Um, so Steve, just thank you. Thank you for being in my life. Thank you for being such a dear friend, but also bringing this message to our listeners because we could all use more play in our day. I love you, my friend. Thank you for being here. Any last words before we go? Love you too, sister. No, I think you hit it on the nail. Play safe today. That's, that, that's a great way to end. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. Till next time, go be playful. And uh, we'll see you next time on Coachable